I've titled this, What Now? And you're going to see what that's all about here in just a few minutes. And, and the text for this is going to be Luke, the 24th chapter. And that's the second reason why that I didn't do a PowerPoint. Your PowerPoint is right there in front of you, Luke 20, 24. So if you'll just turn to Luke 24, that's all you need to do for a PowerPoint. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing with them, came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared. And you know, I may have picked up the wrong glasses. I can't even read that this morning. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not. You know what? I can fix that. Uh, I mentioned the other night that my buddy uh, Randy Miller had kind of shamed me into using uh, technology. And I've been so old school all this time. But uh, maybe he's right because I can make the font as big as I need to make it so I can read this stuff, you know. Whoa, yeah, look at that. <laughs> all right. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Here's a key. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, if we read this first part of this, just like we just did, there is a clue in here. These people followed Jesus around. Well, Jesus' ministry was just a little over three years. And these people followed him around a great portion of that three-year ministry. And so when he was crucified and when he died, there was great sadness and there was great sorrow. But it appears that none of them expected to find an empty tomb. Now, there are four major religions in the world that are based on personalities. Uh, Islam, of course, and Muhammad, and Buddhism, that would be Buddha, and Judaism, that would be Father God, and Christianity, which would be Jesus. Now, of all of the four, these are the only four religions in the world that are based on a man. There's many, many, many religions in the world, and they're all based on precepts of, of what the founder, uh, the, the precepts that he may have uh, of concocted or whatever you want to call it. They, they, uh, they came up with these uh, concepts, but these are the only four that's based on a personality. And of all of these, there is only one that the personality suffered and died for the people that he was supposed to be leading. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. And Father God, although we think of, of uh, God and Jesus as being uh, one and the same, they, but, you know, the, Jesus is, is basically the second person of the Godhead. But, and I don't want to go into a, an explanation of what that's all about. But let's just say that, that Father God did not die for the children of Israel, 
but Jesus. He sent his only son. And to me, folks, I got to tell you that sending his son to die was worse than dying himself. I'm just saying, okay? I lost a grandson a couple of years ago. I wanted to die myself. I did. So it, it's important that we understand it, it wasn't easy for God to do this. God had to turn his back on his son because he couldn't look at the sins of the world. And Jesus took the sins of the world. But here we go. None of these people that was with him all this time, they did not believe there was going to be an empty tomb. And these were the ladies that were uh, kind of went along with them, you know, and, and followed the, the disciples around. And perhaps they, they uh, uh, you know, repaired things and, and sewed and, and cooked and whatever. Listen, ladies, I know, okay? That's, that's not a, a politically thing to, to correct thing to say these days that the ladies sewed and, and, and cooked. But in those days, that's probably what they did. So just take it. I, I, I don't think that's your station in life. I'm just saying this is probably what, what they were doing. So anyway, they came and they brought their, their uh, spices which they had prepared. Why did they bring the spices now? Well, because that they couldn't come earlier than this because it was a Sabbath day and they weren't allowed to do it by Jewish law. It wasn't lawful for them to come and, and, and prepare the body with spices on that day. So they had to wait until the day after the Sabbath, which it is kind of interesting in case somebody wants you to uh, explain why that Christians meet on the first day of the week and not on the Sabbath day. This is why. Because that's the day that he was resurrected. That's the day that, that he overcame death. That's the day that he rejected the fact that death had any control. And so that's why we meet on the first day of the week. Um, there were two men that stood in shining garments, and we know that they were angels. And uh, they were... The, the, here. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And, and the next verse, verse 6 says... He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Ah, and the next verse is, And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Okay, ladies, in this time, in this day, in this place, the word of a woman was not taken as testimony. It was not accepted as lawful testimony. So, when they say it's like idle talk from women, you know, uh, they didn't believe them. But they may not have believed them, but it says that Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Oh, by the way, if you read this in the Gospel of John, John says that he ran also. As a matter of fact, John says, I beat him there. You know, the resurrection race, first, second, you know, John beat Peter to the tomb. And I think it's just kind of funny. I mean, you know, it have a little bit of humanity in it. But anyway, 
They marveled at what had happened. Now we're going to get down to it. Now behold, two of them, two of them were traveling. What two of who? Two of the disciples. Not the apostles, but disciples. Now two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And you know, it's, it's like this. When we have a, a funeral, a death, you know, some horrible incident, we get together and we talk about things. You know, and we, we try to reason out, why did this happen and why did that happen? And, and you know, what, what could we have done? What, you know, they, they try to reason it out. And they were walking along and they were, they were very sad, as a matter of fact. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, see there, you're reasoning, that Jesus himself drew near them and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? You think Jesus needed information why they were sad? I mean, you know, I think he probably knew about the crucifixion, right? I, I, you know, that's one of the things that he was probably very aware of. So he's, what he's doing, though, is giving them an opportunity to vent. And by not revealing himself to them, <coughs> he allowed them to be open and honest. Because if they would have known it was Jesus, oh, they would have been joyous, all right. They would have been uh, full of uh, joy and, 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 and vigor, so to speak but they would not have said the things he wanted them to say. Uh, by the way, I, I skipped over something here that uh, I think is very interesting. When it talks about that uh, they found the tomb empty, you remember in, in John, I believe it was, where that Mary Magdalene went back and got the disciples and she came back and they saw the tomb was empty and then they left and she stayed and was crying. And Jesus appeared to her and she did not know him. So he had already blocked her from, from her visage, so to speak. And uh, so she said, are you, you know, presuming him to be a gardener? Where have you laid him so I can go and, and, and I will take his body and, and whatever, move it and, and, and you know, take care of it? And he said something. And it was probably along these lines, Mary, Mary. And just the way he said it and the tenderness of his voice. And, and you know, I see Jesus as one of these people that even when he rebuked, that his, his gentleness was different. And uh, so when he said this, she went to grab him and, and, and hold on to him. And the scripture says over in John, if you look in, at the old King James Version, it says, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And I think this is important. It, it's just kind of a little something I want to throw in here because it's a really good study. When he said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, what was he talking about? Well, over in Leviticus, 21st chapter, it talks about when the high priest goes in to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, that he has to be perfectly prepared, perfectly 
clean, if you would, if you would, you know, he has to prepare himself. He has to do all the ritual things to be uh, prepared to go in there because um, he can't have any blemish in his life or on him to go in to the holy of holies. And if anybody was to touch him, that was contaminated by the dead or being in a graveyard, if you would, that. He, he would have to go and, and prepare himself again to go back into the, the Holy of Holies. And there's a verse of Scripture that talks about Jesus being the sacrifice once and for all. And he talks about shedding his blood and taking it before the Father in the temple, the tabernacle rather, the tabernacle that is not made by human hands. What is that? That's the tabernacle in heaven. That's the tabernacle that... That when they were in the wilderness and they had this tent and, and then they made this tabernacle, it was actually uh, designed from the tabernacle that was in heaven. So if he was to be touched by this person who had been in the graveyard, he would be contaminated, right? And, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, and you're going to see this later on as we talk about this, he had to go to the Father first, present his blood to the tabernacle, and then he came back. It doesn't say, it doesn't tell us that he did that, but he, he basically had to go to the Father first, and he comes back. Okay, kind of get that in your mind, what the sequence is here. So we'll move on now. And anyway, he talks about uh, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, we don't know the name of the other one uh, that was walking along, but we know that one's name was Cleopas. By the way, it is believed that Cleopas was the uncle of Jesus, and he didn't recognize him. Now, why do I say that? Because Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus, or stepfather, if you will, had a brother named Cleopas. So it's very possible this was the Cleopas that he's talking about. Don't know that for sure, but that's kind of the way it looks. And it's also believed by many scholars that the other person that he's talking about was Luke himself, the, the writer of Luke, the book of Luke. So it's interesting that uh, we can almost figure out who it was. He said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> Don't you find that just a little, uh, a little humorous? What things? What are you talking about? And the, the things, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. We're going to go down through these, and then we're going to back up a little bit and, and examine these. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these happened. These things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they also that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. 
So these people, these people on the road to Emmaus, they didn't believe that a resurrection was really possible. Look, if you look at these scriptures that we just read, they spoke of Jesus in the past tense. Past tense. It's gone. It's over. And we, we, we hoped. We thought it was going to be he that was going to redeem us. So anyway, they, they thought of Jesus in the past tense. Weren't expecting a resurrection. I mean, all right, let's just be real, okay? If we're following Jesus, following anybody, and he dies or is killed or, or crucified, if you will, are we going to be looking for a resurrection? You know, you really have to, to put yourself to a test there and say, do I really believe what the Bible says about this? You know, you have to... We have... Um, Sometimes we have what we call a spotted uh, theology. You know, there's this spot that I like in the Bible a lot. But there's spot, this spot over here that I don't really care. Can it really be? I mean, you know, and there's this spot over here. I like it a lot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, uh, believe in this. I'm going to believe in this. But I'm not necessarily going to believe in this spot. Okay? So they're walking along there, and, and he was listening to them and listening to their they're bemoaning and they're groaning. And, and yes, certainly they were sad. And certainly they did not expect a resurrection. But he says this. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, once again, it's a rebuke. But I don't believe he said, O foolish ones. No, I don't believe that. I believe that a rebuke from Jesus comes like this. Oh, foolish ones, you know, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, here's something I really wish that we would have. Uh, I wish the word had uh, recorded this because this is probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached that was not recorded, Okay. And at the beginning, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, it's seven miles to Emmaus, and I think I read somewhere where the uh, average uh, walking speed of a person was was something like... uh, I don't know, five miles an hour, four, four miles an hour. But I'm suspecting these people are not stepping out and, and really getting after it, you know, because they're sad and they're distressed. And, and so they're probably dragging their feet along and taking their time. So Jesus takes this opportunity. I don't know how long he had, but he had a couple of hours anyway, even at the best efforts, a couple of hours. And he said, beginning at Moses, so that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Beginning at Moses, and then through all the prophets, all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that, that would take a while because really it, everything in the scripture is about Jesus. It all points to him, every bit of it. 
So you can find uh, Jesus in Genesis. You can find him in Exodus. You can find him in Leviticus. And, and on down the list, you can find him in every single book of the Bible. And it says that in all of these things, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, don't you wish that that sermon would have been recorded? Wow. I would have loved to been able to, to read that, that sermon. I mean, you know, we've heard some good sermons in our lives, and, but I got a feeling that the, the great teacher teaching the great lesson might be the greatest sermon that was ever heard. Uh, I don't say uh, might be. I, I really mean to say would be the greatest sermon ever heard. Then when they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with him. It came to pass. By the way, Jesus is always a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. I mean, you know, it's like you come into this building right here and... and you know, if you're concerned about it, don't worry about it because Jesus is not going to jump all over you and, and save you because you, you know, you just need to be saved. Jesus is a gentleman. He always waits to be asked. As a matter of fact, if you remember when he came across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and the, the disciples were in the boat and there he comes walking across the water on the water and they were saying, well, is that a ghost? The disciples were, or the, actually the, the apostles were, and, and they said, no, that's Jesus. Oh, you know, that can't be Jesus. And, and, and Lord, if it's you, it's what Peter said, bid me to come to you. So he waited for Peter to invite him. He waited for Peter to invite him. So, of course, you know, he, he, Peter gets out there and he walks, and I think it's ironic that uh, Peter starts walking and he's walking on the water. And then he begins to, to sink and, and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, you know. Just me being perfectly honest, uh, it took a lot of faith to get out on there and just start walking. I mean, you know, uh, and I can understand why Peter had a little problem there. Now, it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Well, was it because that they saw the, the nail scars in his hands? Was it because they saw the, the place where the spear had pierced him in the side? Was it because he did something familiar in breaking the bread? I don't know. I don't know. But it said that their eyes were open. They finally recognized who he was. And I think it's really interesting. Oh, by the way, Jesus was invited in. And it was the host of the, uh, of the, the meeting who was supposed to take the bread and break it. And evidently, Jesus decided to assume that responsibility. And he took the bread and broke it. So I think it maybe has something to do with breaking of bread. And then he vanished from their sight. And they're probably thinking, oh, we just realized who he was and now he's gone. You know, what are you going to do with that? Uh, you know, it, it's like, come on, man. But 
if we find out, and, and then they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Notice that it says heart. Did not our heart burn within us? What he had done, and they, were, they did not realize it until this very moment, is he had united their hearts. It was not hearts as individuals. It was one heart. Did not our heart burn? So, And that's what the Lord does for us as a body, that, that he unites us. And, and, and if you go on and read the same author in the book of Acts, and he talks about being of one accord in one place, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it was a, a, it's just kind of that uniting thing. Now, that's important, by the way, the uniting. So they rose up that very hour. Now, it's already pretty late, right? They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. They found the eleven. Why eleven? Well, we know that one of them who betrayed Jesus, who went out and hung himself, so there were only eleven apostles left. And they gathered, they, with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, at some point before this, evidently, he, he uh, appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So that's a clue right there, in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Shalom. Now, this is back in Jerusalem. They, they made their way back to Jerusalem. You know, they, like I said, seven miles. How fast did they get back to Jerusalem? I don't know. It was probably a whole lot faster than it, it was when they got to Emmaus. But they probably uh, hooked it on up a little bit, you might say, to get back to Jerusalem. So they're telling all the disciples this. And, and they're, they're saying all these things. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in the middle of it. And he's standing there. And it's like, Shalom, bro. You know, <laughs> Peace to you. <clears throat> but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Now, here we go. These, these are the 11 apostles that had went with him for three years. These were the ones that should have known everything. And they were terrified and frightened. And they said, they supposed he had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. Now, see, this is what I was talking about earlier. It's okay to handle him now. It's okay to touch him now because he's already made the trip to the Father, already delivered his blood to the heavenly tabernacle. For a spirit does not have flesh and, blunt, flesh and bones as you see I have. Does anybody find that, that phrase a little bit unusual? Just a little bit. Flesh and bones. What do we usually hear? Flesh and what? Flesh and blood. But not in this case. That's because when Jesus delivered his blood to the heavenly tabernacle, it appears there was no longer any blood in Jesus' body. It was all spent for you and I. It was all spent that, that we would be forgiven. By the way, if there was no resurrection, then our sins would not be forgiven. 
Because we would, be, we would be believing a lie if there was no resurrection. Matter of fact, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, of all men, we would be most miserable if Christ were not raised from the dead. So why would we be miserable? Because we would be believing a lie. We would be following a man who is dead. But our, our Savior, our leader, our, uh, uh, the, the one that we are following is not dead. And he never will die again. Now, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. By the way, I, I'm not sure about this. I'm, I'm on the trail of it. I, someday I might be able to, to, to work it all out. But I have this feeling that when we get into the millennium, that all of the people who are part of the kingdom of God, part of, uh, of his reign, will be like Jesus. Because it says we will be like him. So does that mean we won't have blood? I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know. You know. But anyway, when he had showed them this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, now they didn't believe for joy. I don't, you know. And they marveled. He said to them, have you any food here? This is just another way that, that he's putting him at ease, just letting him know he's not a ghost. Ghosts don't eat, by the way, in case you're wondering. That's, the ghosts do, do not take food in. He said, have you any food? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he take it, take it. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. By the way, this was the meeting that in one of the other Gospels, and I believe it may be John, that Jesus showed up in their midst, and, and he's talking to them. And, and then it says that as he expounded, as he taught them, that he breathed on them. And what's that all about? Well, he breathed on them, and they received into themselves the Holy Spirit. In other words... They were born again. What do you mean they were born again? Well, they couldn't have been born again before this because Jesus hadn't died yet. The, the, the dying has to be before the, the uh, conversion, if you will. So Jesus hadn't been, uh, uh, had not been crucified before then, so they couldn't have been born again. But at this particular time, they were born again. But it's interesting. He breathed the Holy Spirit into them. That's like when we get saved, we get, there is a, a, a Holy Spirit that moves into us. But now that doesn't mean we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is basically an overflowing of the Holy Spirit, which we'll find out that's what he's telling them to do right here. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. There we go until you are endued with power from on high. By the way, the upper room, where they, they gather together and they one accord, and, and that's the same room they're in right now. 
They just didn't go anywhere. They just stayed there. So uh, as he told them to stay where they were, they did. And you were endued with power from on high. So we receive the Holy Spirit in us when we get born again. But there is a greater receiving. There is a greater uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's when we are uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's another thing that uh, kind of controversial where the, the, the tongues of fire came down on their heads and they began to speak in other tongues. And, and a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but hey, it's in Scripture, it's real. So, and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Okay, stop right there for a minute. If you go to Jerusalem, you will find at least three churches on the Mount of Olives that claim to be the place where Christ ascended to the Father. And one of those, it's called the, uh, the Church of the Ascension, actually can't, claims to have a footprint of Jesus in the rock. I don't know about you, but I find that a, a little bit ludicrous in the respect that Jesus is taken off and, and going back to the Father. So he takes off with like a rocket, right? And he leaves a footprint in the rock. You know, uh, anyway, this is right on the top uh, of, of the uh, Mount of Olives. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says he led them out as far as Bethany. Now, Bethany is right there, but Bethany is just over the crest, just down the hill a little bit. It's the same place that, that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's a a place that he spent a lot of time, but he did not stop on the the summit. He went over the crest, and this is where he ascended to the Father. So all of those churches that are on the the top of the Mount of Olives that claim to be the place that Jesus ascended to the Father, I'm not saying they're telling you untruths. I'm just saying it's not likely, okay? So he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And, uh, you know, what do you mean he blessed him? Well, he probably just lifted up his hands and says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And uh, there's a a priestly blessing found in Numbers that uh, it's very possible that was exactly what he said. And, And But since he was and is our high priest, it's very likely he used that priestly blessing. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried into heaven. And they worshipped him. Now, that was probably a pretty decent worship service there. Uh, I wouldn't mind being part of that one. Um, And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So, what's this all about? Well, the title of the, the, the message today is, What Now? You know, we find ourselves in a place of Disbelief sometimes. You know, we lose loved ones. We, uh, there are sicknesses that we uh, get involved in. Um, it, it's really amazing. Uh, my wife and I both were, were uh, uh, diagnosed with cancer. You know, and you think, come on, God. But my wife and I both are cancer-free today. You know, we just, yeah, yeah. God is good. God is good. He is an amazing God. What now? We, we have to learn to believe. You see, the disciples believed 
a great part of what Jesus taught them. But they didn't want to believe the crucifixion part. They didn't want to believe the part where he died. They didn't want to believe. And see, they were not, were not. All the scripture implies and indicates they were not expecting a resurrection. The ladies brought spices to the tomb. Why did they bring spices to the tomb? They were thinking they were going to find a corpse. They were thinking they were going to find a dead body that they had to prepare and show honor and show homage to a special person. You know, so, and I got to ask this, okay? You'll have to bear with me. My mind goes crazy places sometimes. What happened to the spices? Well, maybe they just got thrown aside and became old spices. Some of these young people don't know what I'm saying at all. But anyway, I, I just I couldn't help that. That's, that's one of the things. That I, you know, my mind gets to working when I'm reading all this stuff. And Anyway, but we, we need to learn that all parts of the Scripture are so very important, even the small things that we don't think are important. As a matter of fact, I, I, this past year, I've learned something very important in reading the Bible. I read the Bible totally different than I ever did before, ever before. I, I learned that if there's some little phrase that sounds a little bit, uh, then I want to find out why it sounds that way. And I start looking it up and find, and you know, I found so many little nuggets. It's unbelievable what the Lord has begun to show us. And, and uh, so all of it, every word is important. We find, you know, we, we talked about in, in the um, uh, Genesis, the fifth chapter, and, and how that it's a chapter of genealogy. And we think, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to read this. It's all it is is names and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. But if you go through all those names that are listed, you find the total plan of God throughout all history recorded in those names when you look at the definition of those names. I challenge you, the fifth chapter of Genesis, get your Bible out, take all the names down, write them down, write them down in order. Don't, you don't need to get them out of order. Write them down in order, and you will find the, the whole plan of God listed right there. In Genesis, the fifth chapter, that early. Anyway, so we have to learn to trust the Word. And we have to learn to trust the One who is the Word. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So all of this is important, not just parts of it, not just the parts we want to hear, okay? And, and that's, you know, okay, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. Uh, the, we, we hear a lot about this word of faith movement, and, and there's been a lot of criticisms in the word of faith movement. But if you put it in its proper perspective, it's altogether different than what a lot of people want to think that it is. They think it's all about me getting to drive a new Cadillac. Okay? No, it's not. That's not what it's about at all. However, if we're in the work of the Lord, and the Lord needs to give me a new car because, let's just say, my old one's about shot, okay? I don't believe that he has any qualms about figuring out a way to give me a new car because if it's in the work of the Lord. Now, if I just want to have a new car to to drive to my uh, class reunion, nah, it's not going to happen. But if it's in the work of the Lord, 
He says, I will supply all of your needs according to what? My riches and glory. So we need to think of it altogether different. It's not about me. And I got news for you, it's not about you either. But it's about everything in the Bible points to one person, Jesus. One person, Jesus. And for that, I'm so grateful. I'm, uh, I might have as much to be grateful for as anybody in this room. And I, used, I didn't used to feel that way. I didn't. My thought was, and maybe this is your, I think this might be for somebody this morning. You may be thinking, I don't have a testimony. You know, my life has been sort of ho-hum. I don't, I don't really have a testimony. Well, I didn't think I did either. And then I had cancer. And then my wife had cancer. And now I'll stand before anybody and say, I've got a testimony that my God is real. That he stands in the gap for me. That he understands my sorrows and my hurts. That he's able to help me to overcome everything that comes at me. You know, one of these days, there's not going to be any of that. One of these days, we won't have to overcome anything. But you know, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and you know, they had the... uh, the Nile River in Egypt. And so they didn't really have a problem with famines down in Egypt, right? But the Lord told them when he took them out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to take you to a different place that you're not familiar with. I'm going to take you to a place of hills and valleys. And this place of hills and valleys will have to depend on the rain of heaven. That's where I am right now. That's where you are right now if you're serving God. We're in that place of hills and valleys. We're up one day, we're down the next, and we have to depend on that divine rain from heaven. And, and I just think it's important that we understand He sees it, He knows it, and He's willing to pour out and bless us. So if you would this morning, I'd like you to stand with me. I'm going to give an opportunity here. If you would just close your eyes. And just in your heart, in your mind, begin to worship the Lord. Just let your mind wander over what He's done for you. And if your mind will not let you come to a place where you know that you know that you know that you've been born again. I would ask you to join with us today. Every eye closed, every head bowed. There's someone here this morning that needs to know for sure that Jesus dying on the cross was for your sins and I need to change my life because of that. Would you lift your hand? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And if there's some of us here, and me included, that a lot of times we believe the things we like in the Scripture. We believe the things that that just sound so good to us. You know, and all the, the encouraging and the blessing. But we don't want to believe the things that could happen to us that's not so great. 
but you want to get victory over that. Would you lift your hand? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Now what I'm going to do, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but what I am going to do is ask you to pray along with me. And as a matter of fact, I'd like all of us to pray along. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that it's my desire to like all the good things. It's my desire to live in the great things of the Word. But when the hard times come, I can't seem to get over the hump. So today, Lord, I commit myself to you completely. And I understand that I live in a land of hills and valleys. And I will rejoice when I'm on the hills. And I will depend on you when I'm in the valleys. And I will wait on the heavenly rain in Jesus' name.